Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 524 with John DeJulius. John is sharing how to build rapport to get some good emotional connection going with folks in conversation quickly. So you'll learn, one, four key touch points that effectively build rapport. Two, the subtle ways you're killing the conversation. And three, how to go from indifferent to curious. So if you want to take a look at the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, drop on by awesomeatyourjob.com slash F524 or tap it in the episode links or notes or description right inside your app by swiping or tapping or expanding, depending on the app you're using, to tap the link and and get there all the faster. So here is John's story. John is the authority on world-class customer experience. He's an international consultant, keynote speaker, and best-selling author of five customer service books. His newest book, The Relationship Economy, Building Stronger Customer Connections in the Digital Age, is timely for right now. John has worked with companies such as Ritz-Carlton, Lexus, Starbucks, Nordstrom, Nestle, Marriott, Hotels, PwC, Celebrity Cruises, Anytime Fitness, Progressive Insurance, Harley-Davidson, Chick-fil-A, and many more. Now, here's John. John, thanks for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. My pleasure. Thank you. Well, I'd love to hear, first of all, what's the backstory behind you failing gym class in high school? (laughs) You know, I was a uh, very small have not developed yet and was I uh, went to a high school that produced a lot of uh NFL athletes and was uh you know I was like four foot eleven maybe you know eighty five pounds and so I just decided I didn't want to uh, go in the locker room and change every day and what I didn't know was when I didn't change into my gym uniform I uh, didn't get credit for the class so uh, at the end of the year, I flunked it and had to go to summer school for gym. So I, I imagine there were many days in which you were wearing the wrong outfit. I would just wear my dress clothes every day. And I didn't uh-huh. realize I was getting like uh, not attended, you know, like absent. Well, that's wild that no one would give you a heads up like, hey, John, uh, so you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I see you physically present, but you don't get credit right. for today because of what you're wearing. But rather, <laughs> they just fail you at the end. Boy, I think that is like a, uh, I'm thinking about Kim Scott of Radical Candor now, uh, who we had on the show, talking about how when people get fired because they never got good feedback along the way to improve their shortcomings and blind spots. Boy, here, here that is in a very dramatic instance. But you bounced back. I'm glad to hear. I did okay. I did okay. Cool. Well, uh, so I want to hear you are are talking a lot these days about building stronger customer connections in the digital age. Could you lay it on us? What are some of the benefits associated with, you know, face-to-face connections and this old school stuff when, you know, technology is running the show, it seems, in most of our communications? Well, yeah, it's back to the future today. It's ironic that the disruptor today in business is good old-fashioned relationships. And, you know, there's a seismic shift happening in the world today. And with all the benefits technology is bringing us, it's coming at a significant cost. And that cost is human relationships, which is vital to customer loyalty, employee satisfaction, and just overall happiness. 
uh, personally and professionally. And, and, you know, today's illiterate are those who have an inability to make a meaningful connection. And so the best companies are competing in the relationship economy where the primary currency is the emotional connections made with customers, employees, and vendors that make your brand the brand that people can't live without and and ultimately help you make price irrelevant. Okay. Well, that sounds great. So could you share with us some of the most, I guess, hard-hitting you know, research data studies associated with uh, observations of this phenomenon? Yeah. Well, first, in uh, by 2025, year 2025, there will be more machines in the workforce than robots. And artificial intelligence will be capable of doing every job that we're currently doing, from lawyers to judges to driving to construction, doctors to nurses, to something that I just uh, got an email uh, last week that was a, a little unsettling that they are there's artificial intelligent brothels. Uh, I'm not uh, endorsing. I'm not recommending. Oh, what, the oldest professions they're taking over. <laughs> right. I'm not judging. I'm just reporting. So it literally is, is doing everything and you'll never have to see another human being, I guess, if, if, if you choose as long as you live. So the prediction is by 2025, machines will be doing every job that humans are doing. Although I imagine they'll be doing many of them poorly based on what I'm seeing these days. Yeah. And, and not every job, but capable of doing every job and that more machines will be in the workforce than human beings. All right. How about that? So tell us, how does the the human connection help in that context? Well, as a result of living in the touchscreen age, and the touchscreen age is not generational specific. We have grandparents using devices and we have five-year-olds on iPads. But as a result, our social skills, our people skills are at an all-time low. And this is causing many negative side effects. They've also said that there's a, a, a term called digital dementia, where doctors have done brain scans of heavy users of digital devices, and they look similar to patients who've sustained brain injuries. So you know, we're, we're relationship disadvantaged today. And, you know, the, the leaders out there of businesses need to understand that it's, 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 it's our problem to fix. We can't skip this generation. And so the companies that, you know, the pendulum has swung so far over to high tech, low touch or no touch people, consumers, you, me, you know, we're starving to be, you know, recognized as a person with a name and, and, uh, you know, there's no, uh, and technology is not the enemy using it to eliminate the human experience is so companies, the best companies are finding ways to marry the digital with the human interaction that allows technology use, do the most basic necessities, allowing freeing up your employees to do what's most important, that's building the customer loyalty that's, that is long-term sustainability for the business. Okay. Well, so then I'd love to get your take in particular when it comes to if, if we're looking to build some rapport, whether that's with sort of new colleagues around a given workplace or with uh, prospects or customers or potential partners, just about anybody, uh, what do you recommend for, for folks who are looking to more conscientiously build more of the human connection. Yeah, so there's five key characteristics to the art of building relationship. And, you know, they may sound to older generations 
like common sense, but we all have gotten away from it and it's not common sense to the younger generation. So I'll rattle off the five first, you know, must be authentic, right? Must have insatiable curiosity, must have incredible empathy, must love people and must be a great listener. So of those five, four of them can definitely be taught and trained. Now, if you find people that have those, you know, that's great. But the one that can't be taught, no amount of training can ever change someone if they don't love people, right? You can't train someone to love people. So, you know, let's look at insatiable curiosity. You know, being investigative reporters is the best people dying to learn about others, not only about subjects that interest them, but subjects that are, you know, unfamiliar. So I did a TED talk called Meet a Stranger's Leave His Friends. I don't think there's a greater skill that we can work on ourselves or teach at any level from kindergarten to, you know, the the business world uh, at home than the the ability to build instant rapport with others, whether that be an acquaintance, stranger, coworker, customer, you name it. And so in doing that, there's two things we got to remember that that everyone we come in contact with has an invisible sign above their head that says make me feel important, and the greatest gift we can give others is the gift of attention. Now, it's hard to do that because we are all genetically coded to be preoccupied. It's my flight that got delayed. It's my client that's upset with us. It's my son that may have gotten in trouble, right? So so that's a hard thing to turn off when you speak to other people. So we have this, uh, this, this great technique that so many of our clients have, have incorporated and I incorporate in personal and professional. It's anytime you have a conversation with someone, be it three minutes or 30 minutes, you need to focus on the other person's Ford. F-O-R-D, like the car. And if, if you can focus on the other person's Ford, you not only built a relationship, you own the relationship. So F, family. Uh, are they married? Do they have kids? How old are their kids? The O, occupation. What do they do? What's their title? You know, who are they doing it for? R, recreation. That's some of the hottest buttons that people have. You know, what do they do with their free time? Are they runners? Are they, you know, the go to hot yoga, they coach little league, you know, whatever that may be. And then D stands for dreams. What's on their bucket list? What's their dream vacation? What is their encore career? So, so many of uh, all of our clients have incorporated Ford into their, you know, daily interactions. They collect this in a non-soliciting way and, and they have it in their CRM system. They have pads that remind it. And it's just a great way to build that emotional connection of what's really important to people. But you mentioned three minutes. So so maybe we can run some demos here. And I'd like to hear it both in terms of you're, you're just meeting someone for the first time and uh, I guess you're reconnecting. Like, oh, you, you bump into someone. It's been a few months since you've seen them and, and, and we're um, having a chat. So can you show us how it's done, John? Yeah. So, Peter, where, where are you at today? I'm in Chicago. In Chicago. Okay. So we're, we're having a similar weather. Uh, I'm from Cleveland. So we're both from the Midwest and, you know, it's cold out. It's snowing here. But are you originally from Chicago? You know, I grew up in Danville, Illinois, about three hours away. Uh, but I've spent almost my whole life in Illinois. Good, good. A family, kids? That's right. We got two kids under two right now. Under two, both of them. That's right. Oh, so you're sleep deprived. Yes, my wife more so than I am as a saint that she is. But but yes, I'm I'm feeling it a bit as well. Congratulations. How long have you been married? 
Well, in fact, today is our three-year anniversary. No way. And that's why we had this call to celebrate. And it's December 3rd at 3 p.m. Central in this moment that we're recording. That's kind of wild, John. (laughs) December 3rd, 2016, you got married. That's right. That's awesome. So it's just usually, you know, whenever you start off with anyone, you know, you just kind of catch up, you find some common ground, but it's important to focus on on them and, and find out what their hot buttons are. And, uh, you know, obviously where they come from, their family, if we had more time or we we're doing this, we, we'd get into how you got into to, to what you're doing now. And that's, you know, a great story. So listening is great and doing research for this book was was painful because I realized how many things I was doing wrong. So I have some conversation nevers and always. So so some listening is if you ask a question, you don't ask two to three follow-up questions, odds are you weren't really paying attention, right? You should have a four to one ratio of questions asked versus answered. There's a myth that being a good listener is, is like being a sponge. And they say that's the farthest thing from the truth. You know, so being a sponge is you're just talking away and I'm once in a while just saying, uh-huh, uh-huh. And they say that's not being a good listener. Being a good listener is being a trampoline. And so a trampoline is, you know, asking more clarifying questions and helping and heightening the energy of what the person speaking is doing. So, you know, there's a lot of really cool things like that. Some some really painful things I stumbled on was, uh, you know, don't ask a question because you're dying to answer it. Right. So it's like, you know, yeah, uh, Peter, tell me what you did this weekend. Oh, good, good. Uh, you know what I did? You know, and, and I was skiing. It was awesome. Yeah, I hear you. Right. Right. You know, don't finish the other person's sentence. And then one that, that I'm, I'm really guilty of that I, I never thought it was a bad thing until I read about it is stealing someone's thunder. And, you know, so the example I read about really made me realize I do this all the time, but I did it with good intention. So, you know, you might have an employee that was off last week and you're like, Peter Jr., what'd you do on vacation? And and, and young Peter says, you know, he took his uh, his wife and two little ones to uh, Disney. And uh, he's so excited. He wants to tell you about it. And, and you interrupt him by saying, oh my God, I love Disney. We actually have a house uh, there in Orlando. And originally thinking that would show some commonality, but you just stole his thunder because what could someone possibly tell? Uh, someone about Disney who who has property there, right? So you know, just be being more attentive to you know not 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 one upping or, or grandstanding and just letting the other person have their moment. Yeah, that's a really nice thought. I'm thinking about it almost like a game of chess. You know, not that we're trying to you know dominate the other, but that you want to think about what does that open up in terms of moves after your move. So you might mention, oh, hey, this is common. I've got a home in Orlando. And it's like, but if you if you think about that for a moment, it's like, well, what, what options does that leave this person? You know, very few. So yeah, I, I dig that. Think it back to the demonstration there. So it seems like we got into the family side of things, but I'd love to hear us unpack the full demo of, we got the occupation, the recreation, and the dreams. And so, you know, depending on the, you know, scope, the the dynamic of, why we're meeting, why we're talking, right? If it's a social thing, you know, then then you, you have at it with the Ford. But if it's, you know, maybe a, a sales call or a, a business call, you obviously want to hit on one or two of those. You, typically, you don't have time to hit on four unless it, you know, really gets off. And it all also depends on how well we know each other. So if we're brand new 
and you know you just start it then you just kind of want to you know again start off that's how i start off that's how i start off most calls first time is you know where are you calling from and oh chicago tell me are you a bears fan i found out something that you like and your kids and, and then why you got into your the position whatever that position is and then you know i i use that information later on now there's also times when, you know, you go out with your significant other and her husband and, you know, that's a completely different, you know, you got two hours. I will just drill that person for two hours and just learn as much as I can about them. And again, another painful thing, 30 years that I learned from the research in my book, 30 years ago, if you couldn't talk to me about my two subjects and that was all I was interested in, which was basically baseball or customer service. You know, I didn't have anything to do with it, right? I mean, it was, just, you know, if my wife said, hey, you know, we're going to go out with, you know, Joanne and her husband. I'd be like, oh, God, no. Oh, I can't sit through another night with him. And that was totally my fault, right? Because I was only interested in my thing. But I've learned, you know, through what's called insatiable curiosity to be a, become an investigative reporter and just, you know, really pick someone's brain. And you might find out obscure things that you, you might not be interested in. He might be interested in fly fishing. And and, and you, you dig deeper. Why? Like, well, what? How did you get into fly fishing? And, and to me, that seems, you know, a little boring. And you, you, you get at the end of the conversation, three things always come away. One, I, I really see why that person likes, let's say, fly fishing. Doesn't mean I'm going to go out and do it tomorrow. But from his passion or the way they talked about and the benefits. Now I, you know, I, I can see it. Number two, which is probably most important, he really liked talking to me, which means I win points at home with, with my significant other, right? And then, but but here's the the strangest thing. This always happens. I'm sure it's happened in your life. Six months later, I'll be in a CEO's office trying to close a, a sale or something, and there'll be a picture of him fly fishing on his wall. And because of that conversation, I can have a more educated conversation and make a connection easier than if I never had that connection. So, I mean, there's just so many benefits, but there's things like we find out from our clients or acquaintances that they're running their first marathon this weekend or they're going to Maui. And, you know, you could do so many things with that. You can, you know, if it's a good client, we'll have a bottle of wine and cheese waiting for them when they get into their room. So there's just so much versus just or just circling back two weeks and finding out how their trip to Maui was. Yeah, that, that's cool. And so I'm, I'm curious when it comes to, huh, curious about curiosity. So now I guess I think where the rubber really meets the road is you're, you're chat with someone, they say something, you have no interest in that thing whatsoever. What do you do with your brain to stir up some of this interest and curiosity when you're not feeling it in the moment? I train myself because you just got to be called investigative reporter. You, you want to find out right. what makes them tick. So if it's important to the other person, find out why. And that's where the beauty, that's where the magic happens. Because again, when you first tell me, you know, so, so, so I mean, I, I'm being transparent here, but what's your recreation? What, what do you like to do with your, with your time off when you're not changing diapers? Oh, why don't we say tabletop games, shall we? I'm, I'm thinking about Monopoly at the moment. Okay. 
And so that's not something, you know, I, I, I personally don't, I wouldn't say this, but I, I personally don't play games. And, and so I would just explore, how'd you get into it? Is that something that, you know, started as, as kids? Do you, you know, and I would just ask four or five questions to try to get you to explain what that is. Again, depending on the situation, if we have a 15 minute call, then that wouldn't be something, but something I could, I, I could feasibly do. But everything has a, an angle because, you know, what would get someone to love to play tabletop games. There's a story there. And usually if it's something they're passionate about, they like telling that story. Most people don't ask them about it. Well, so I think this might be a great example. So, and you could very candidly tell me what's going on in your brain because you're not going to hurt my feelings. It's okay if if you walk away still not giving a hoot <laughs> about tabletop games or, or Monopoly. But I think that's a, that's a cool start. So, so here we are. I've shared something that uh, isn't that interesting to you, but let's say we have the time. So where would you go from there? So yeah, what tabletop games? And you said like Monopoly, is it? Sure, let's say Monopoly. Yeah, is this something you do like, you know, regularly? Is this something like you get, you know, people around? Is this something, you, you know, how often do you do this and with whom? Well, you know, it's it's been a while. I remember the, the peak Monopoly occurred uh, in the uh, winter breaks of, of high school and college where my, my crew... Uh, shout out to to Ronnie, Kevin, Brent, and Kate. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the most part, we would be the ones who who'd come together and and maybe just play three, four games in a night. And so, no, no joke, five, six, seven hours of of Monopoly. That's what I was going to ask you. How many yeah. hours? So that's like equivalent to what people are doing today with binge watching a, a, an episode or something. Oh yeah. Absolutely. But I, I, I got to believe that was like some some of your best memories and bonding and hilarious stories that came from that. Well, you know, it's funny. Indeed, we had all kinds of dorkiness came out because so we played pretty strictly in terms of official tournament rules, 32 houses, 12 hotels, none of this silliness. You guys were serious. We wanted people to roll the dice briskly so we could finish the games. Most of them we finished in under 90 minutes because, you know, we were, were kind of moving with it and, and all kinds of little I guess subcultural things emerged like when all 32 houses were bought up and then someone landed on another property, had to have a big payday. Uh, we would start chanting, sell houses, sell houses, because we were all excited. Now, now we get a chance to buy some houses because this guy's been hogging them and he just got a, a painful uh, rent payment that will force him to liquidate some of his houses. And so there was like blood in the water and we all got fired up over it. So do you have ever have any reunions with Ronnie and, and the gang? You know, it, it happens here and there, but it's a little bit tricky in terms of uh, us being located all over the place. Can you play virtually? You know, I have I've looked into this and the answer is kind of. Uh, I haven't found like the ideal platform that is reliable and and honors, you know, to, you know, true tournament rules. But yeah, there, there's some stuff out there, yeah. You know, and, and the one thing I'm curious about, like, so again, I've, I've never had the patience to sit through uh, a full game of Monopoly. But my sons, my, my sons did buy me a uh, Monopoly board, or they made me or something last year, a Monopoly board, like around our, our, our family. So the houses would be different vacations. It was really cute. It was all personalized. But I got to believe that doing something that much what was the lessons, the life lessons that you, you applied to business or, or whatever? I, 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 there had to be. You know, it's funny. Someone wrote a whole book called Everything I Need to Know from Life I Learned from Playing Monopoly or something like that. 
And Brent uh, bought me a copy, so that was nice of him. And and so I think there's all sorts of bits there. And, and perhaps the biggest one, I think, for me is that, you know, there are times in Monopoly and in times in life where the value of something really changes in, in terms of in the early game, you have lots of cash and no properties. So the value of property is high relative to the cash. And so I would be willing to buy almost any property from someone at a 20, 30, 50% markup in the early game. But then later on, when people have their monopolies and they've got just sort of excess property, they very much want to liquidate that into cash so they can acquire houses to turn it into a a deadly zone. So I, I find that interesting is how sometimes the the value of something really does shift based on your your context and and how sort of abundant versus scarce something is relative to the other stuff. So sometimes I think in life you might have an abundance of time or you might have an abundance of money and, and you have one or not the other. College, plenty of time, not so much money. Uh, in certain jobs, I'm thinking about Wall Street bankers right now, plenty of money, not so much time. And, and then it changes you know, what you're willing to pay for something, whether in terms of hours or dollars. Yeah, I, I got to believe it also maybe uh, add a cautionary to, do I really want this? Will this really be that important to me? in, you know, 18 months or, you know, however long that is because, you know, things change so rapidly. Yeah, totally. Very cool. Very cool. I I still got to believe the best thing that came away was just the memories, the conversations, the digging at each other that groups of close groups of friends do. and, And when you get together, that all comes back. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Perhaps the most legendary one was we, we hosted a Monopoly tournament at the high school just because we had various student leadership positions and said, well, we like Monopoly, so <laughs> this is what we feel like doing. And um, I was helping another table with a rules dispute, and my buddy Kevin uh, whispered to this like 10-year-old girl who was at our table, he's winning, you should trade that to me. And when I turned my back, the trade had been done. I was like, what happened? And and Kevin went on to win the whole tournament and he's featured in the yearbook and and I consider it stolen. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. That's funny. Well, very good. Now I'm intrigued to uh, to play Monopoly the next time someone pulls it out. Sure thing. All right. Well, well thank you for, for indulging me with that uh, extended demo. And well, you're, you're right in terms of the, like the rapport in that the more you get people I guess I'm not looking at your face, uh, but I'm hearing your voice. But uh, I guess it's just very natural that as you steer me toward positive experiences, and I am sharing them with you in a current experience of conversation, I naturally associate you, John, with pleasantness. And thusly, I like you more. Exactly. It came out of the original Bible, the um, how to win friends and uh, how to influence people and win friends, whatever the order is, by Dale Carnegie. And, and you know, he, he in there, you know, says that, you know, you could talk to someone for an hour about them and they won't ask you one question about you, but they'll walk away saying you are the greatest person ever, even though they couldn't tell someone why, but exactly what you just said. They're just associating you with that fondness and, and, you know, they were able to talk about, you know, there's, there's certain things in my world 
that you don't want to ask me unless you have two hours because I'm going to tell you, I'm going to get all worked up and my voice will start cracking and you'll be like, whoa, 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 right? So finding people's hot buttons is the single best way to create an emotional connection. And then doing something with that, taking three minutes on Google later and seeing if there's any digital monopoly things and you send you know that email to Peter saying, Peter, have you seen these? You know, I mean, it literally takes three minutes and whether he has seen them or he hasn't, he's going to be shocked at the time and thoughtfulness that that person who he barely has a relationship with thought of. And it's not just about making a sale. That's true. Yes. And and if you did find it, I'd be really tickled if you say, hey, hey, Pete, turns out like the 1996 PC version <laughs> <laughs> enables you to host something on a something so right. you can get your friends together and it will work just the way you want it. Like, oh, I never would have guessed that that 1996 whatever <laughs> would do the trick. So, yeah. And then I'd be I'd be thinking about you forever. So that's cool. Well, so tell me, John, anything else you really want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things? No, no, no. That, that that's it. I just love the relationship economy, and you know, it's like I said, it's back to the future. It's it's uh, what is missing from our society today, and people are starving to be recognized as a human being with needs and fears and things to celebrate and achievements and all those things. And the ones that are given it to them are building that customer and employee loyalty. One handy tool to help look all the more legit and build that customer loyalty comes from our sponsor, HoneyBook. If you're running your own business or side hustle, sometimes all the proposals, the contracts, the tracking down of payments can bog you down and sap your enthusiasm. Fortunately, HoneyBook can help out. HoneyBook is an online business management tool that organizes your client communications, bookings, contracts, and invoices in one handy spot. You can save time and make things look gorgeous with their thoughtful, professional templates, invoices, proposals, intake questionnaires, e-signatures, payments. Oh my, so much good stuff creating a great client experience that makes you just frankly look all the more awesome at your job. HoneyBook has really thought through a lot of the little details, which I appreciate. For example, I got a real kick out of how when I added my logo, it automatically suggested a button color for the rest of the online interface there based upon one of the colors in my logo. So that was just cool. I didn't have to go dig up the hex code from my designer from back in the day. They just did that for me automatically and, and it looked great. So those kinds of thoughtful, beautiful, professional, time-saving touches have made HoneyBook, in fact, the number one choice for client management for freelancers and small business owners. Right now, HoneyBook is offering our listeners 50% off when you visit HoneyBook.com slash awesome. Their payment terms are flexible, so you can rock this promotion whether you want to go on a monthly basis or an annual basis. And to do so, you visit honeybook.com slash awesome for 50% off of your first year. One more time, that's honeybook, spelled like honey as in bears lick from their paws and book as in go learn a book.com slash awesome. All right. Well, well, now can you share a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? Something that pops up on my phone every morning at 6 a.m. is act as if today's the day you'll be remembered for how you treat others. I love that. That's very important to me. That is lovely. Thank you. And how about a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? Uh, you know, I mean, just coming from writing this book, there was just so much research. Uh, one of my favorite aha moments was they scientists studied the human brain and found that it took the human brain a minimum of 0.6 seconds to formulate a response to something said to it. 
And then they studied hundreds and thousands of, of uh, conversations and found the average gap between people talking was 0.2 seconds. One third the time <laughs> the human brain will allow. And so just really talk, don't have that answer. Don't be just waiting for him to come up for air. Listen to what he's saying. Pause, process it, and you know, then move on. Well, but that's so reassuring in, in many ways for me because sometimes it's like there is that first half second, I guess, before the point six seconds, you yeah. know, has has fully come online, and you have a thought where there's silence, and you know, they almost sort of expect you to say something, but you don't yet have that thing, and it, just to know that hey, it's okay. And it takes about 0.6 seconds on average. <laughs> and really, I think it takes about, in my experience, four or five seconds before people say, like on the phone, like, hey, Pete, are, are you still there? <laughs> so, so you have time to pause and think. Oh, I, I have a hard time with that when people do pause too much. I always check my phone. I think I dropped the call and I'm like, you know, something's wrong because I'm not used to a pause. Yeah. And if nothing else, you could just inhale for a while. Right. Yeah. Well, that's a great stat. Thank you. How about a favorite book that you love? Well, I'll go with the uh, most recent one that uh, I just read, and that was uh, From the Ground Up uh, by Howard Schultz, the former CEO chairman of Starbucks. Um, it's his third book. I've loved every book he's written, and each better than the previous. And just a, a great story of his life and why he created one of the most social conscious companies in the world. It was really inspiring to me. And how about a favorite tool, something you use to help you be awesome at your job? You reminded me in, in one of your emails, uh, you know, Evernote. I love Evernote. I am a to-do crazy person. So, and I, I like it. It works on all my devices, iPad, phone, computers. It, it's always sync. And then what I like about it is my, my own to-do list in there, the way I sort it. I sort my to-do that I could only have three urgent. That's all I'm allowed to put on there. No, I can never have more than three. And that means I can't go home today, go to bed, whatever that may be, unless I get those three done. And then I, I have six important, maximum six. And then the rest are want to do, need to do, and that could be unlimited. But I, I'm always working from that urgent three and then the six important. It just keeps clarity that I'm, I'm always doing what I need to do before what I want to do. All right. And how about a favorite habit? Just uh, trying to build a relationship with myself. MSA is a, a thing that's, that's a real thing, mental stimulation addiction. And that just you know, means that you know we're so used to using our devices and, and I've gone to the doctor's office and be waiting to be taken and I'll check my phone and all the apps and news and ESPN and you know social media, all that stuff. And I'll put it down and within 15 seconds without thinking, I do it again. And, and like, what could have changed in that 15 seconds? And so they say, because we're outsourcing our brains to devices, our, our brains are atrophying. And we have a creativity crisis. We we aren't innovative like we were, you know, generations ago. So I'm trying to build in boredom into my life, where you know that, that's when your brain's, you know, when your brain sits idle. We all say we get the best ideas when we take showers. Well, 
you know, I don't take enough showers. So it might be even like when I'm getting a run in or an exercise in the morning, instead of listening to a podcast or ESPN, like I like to a couple of days a week, I'll, I'll listen to nothing. And, you know, it's, it's strange at first, but I'll tell you what, when I get back home, I have to find paper and pen because I had so many ideas that came to my head. Lovely. Thank you. And is there a particular nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with folks? They quote it back to you a lot. Uh, I think probably the one, the quote I said earlier, a lot of people uh, like that, the, the act is if today is the day you'll be remembered for how you treat others. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? Uh, the DeJuliusGroup.com, the DeJuliusGroup.com, or they can email me at John at the, the DeJuliusGroup.com. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? Yeah, just go out and, and build relationships and the rest will follow. I don't believe in networking. Um, I'm not a good networker. I never have business cards on me, but I do believe in building social capital. And, you know, stop networking in the traditional sense and just meet and build relationships where the relationship itself, if it's its own reward and the rest will take care of itself. Well, John, thanks so much for, for sharing the good word and, and good luck in all your relationship building. Thank you. And good luck to you with your, your bride and your two young ones. Oh, thank you. I really got a kick out of the demo in particular when John and I were discussing Monopoly because, you know, I knew he didn't you know, particularly care about it at first. And as we were speaking, sure enough, he found some of those hot buttons and that was a great way to create an emotional connection. Just like he said, I get a kick out of when the demonstration, the experience is is real and illustrates the principle. Good stuff from John. Hope you dug it. Again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to Alan's we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F524. And if you haven't already, I hope you'll push subscribe and catch our next guest, Christine Claff. She is a professional speaker who has a world of insights for people who want to speak better at work. So I hope to catch you there and peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.